We are delighted that this episode of Starts at the Top is sponsored by Avato CRM Solutions. Avato CRM Solutions designs and delivers award-winning customer service, business process outsourcing, and digital and intelligent automation solutions of some of the world's most respected brands, as well as innovative charity and public sector clients. They partner with clients to help them define their customer experience and transformation strategies by implementing the right technology, people and processes to improve their customer journey while driving new efficiencies and helping them prepare for the future. To find out more about how Avato CRM solutions could help an organisation like yours and to receive a free no obligation chat, visit avato.co.uk forward slash Wales Air Ambulance. I realised that my experience of midlife and perimenopause was actually not uncommon. And as soon as I noticed that, I thought, well, why not write about it? I'll put it all in one place, but I'll do it in a soft, easy to read memoir style. Welcome to a brand new episode and a brand new season of Starts at the Top, our podcast about leading differently. I'm Paul Thomas. And I'm Zoe Ammer. Our podcast exists to help leaders and their teams understand what they need to do differently today to prepare for the world of tomorrow. We started Starts and the Top as a podcast about digital disruption, but we soon realised that leaders were telling us about something more important and urgent, about how traditional ways of leading had changed forever. So we've made it our mission to speak to leaders who are carving out new ways of leading. And we cover topics from emerging tech to inclusion, from remote work to mental health and climate change. Basically, all the subjects that leaders today need to be knowledgeable about. So no biggie there then. Our podcast isn't about shiny corporate case studies. It's about lessons learned and progress made the hard way. And crucially, how that can inspire others. We want this podcast to span across sectors and industries. The world can often seem very fragmented and we believe that lessons can be shared and learned, whether you're leading a small charity, a FTSE 100 multinational business or a local government think tank. We're all in this together. So with that grand podcast free introduction now complete, let's tell you a bit more about today's episode with Lorraine Candy. Lorraine is an award-winning journalist and host of the podcast Postcards from Midlife, which has had millions and millions of downloads. With the insight gained from years of interviewing the top midlife experts and celebrities as well on their experiences, Lorraine really is one of the go-to voices for a generation of women who are seeking information and guidance. Our conversation with Lorraine kicks off a run of four episodes focused on women in leadership. Over the next few weeks, we have interviews lined up with some amazing women and we can't wait to share them with you. And later in the season, we'll be covering topics such as AI, climate change, political influence and activism and much, much more. And actually, it's political activism and uh, influence that I thought we could discuss briefly today before we introduce the, the conversation with Lorraine. And that was around the um, the ongoing sort of saga of we're in a big election year, aren't we? Over this side of the pond and over that side of the pond and over that side of the pond, there's a big discussion going on at the moment about is it going to be Biden? Is it going to be Trump? Feels so, uh, <laughs> so like last time around again. Um, and the interesting thing within all of that was uh, a discussion I was having um, outside a pub in London with a friend of mine about how Taylor Swift was going to play a big, uh, uh, an influential part in this. And I just thought it was an interesting thing to discuss, the role of people outside of the, the, the normal um, places that we look to for leadership, politicians, um, you know, uh, leaders in, in that respect, that there is a, a sort of a whole new range of influence coming in. And, and I think reading between the lines and looking at the article that we'll share in the show, in the show notes, Taylor Swift isn't going to decide the outcome of the US election, but what she will be able to do is motivate a huge amount of numbers, uh, people, fans of hers into actually going and voting and having their say. So I just thought it was interesting that that, that, that sort of um, that influence coming in from other areas. The other example we discussed yesterday briefly 
the role that Jurgen Klopp plays is in news a lot in the last couple of uh, couple of couple of weeks. Um, uh, you know his his role as a leader within the, the community of Liverpool. Um, you know it, it really cannot be sniffed at. It is to the level of a politician. The people of Liverpool have so much trust in him as a as a figure, as somebody who cares about their city and about um, about their football club. But it's that that sort of idea that that it's coming from all different channels. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is another um, angle on the question, is it, about what does a leader look like now? What does influence look like now in an election year? Uh, And there was a piece that I wrote for Third Set last week about the amount of elections that are going on across the world. So I think it's 4 billion people going to the polls, as I recall, in more than 40 countries. So it's a really Mm. historic year in the number of elections and the number of people that are voting. And where it comes back to Taylor Swift is that's going to be really important in mobilising the the youth vote and turnout from, from young voters. So that's where I think younger influences such as Swift could could really make a difference. But you're right. I think with iconic figures such as uh, such as Taylor Swift, there's something about how, and also Jürgen Klopp as well. There's something about how people have a lot of trust and confidence in people in those positions and the way that they probably don't for a lot of mainstream politicians because the whole game of politics has sort of changed so much so I do think there is something really interesting and I'm sure we will be exploring it as we go through this year around elections and how to prepare for them and also the role that all of this uh, is, is is going to occupy in organisational conversations about politics too. Yeah totally totally yeah mm. I think it's it's going to be a really interesting area and as you say we we have got um, people lined up to speak to later in the season um, to find out their views on all of this um, and a couple of open spots. So Taylor, if you're listening, uh, Jürgen, if you're listening <laughs> and you fancy coming on and, and sharing things, well, look, Jürgen's out of a job come the summer, so he's going to have plenty of time on his hands. So he's more than welcome to, to come on. Um, and I'd always you know, welcome a chat with Taylor Swift if she can fit us in. So would I, so would I. So now for our conversation with Lorraine Candy, and a big thank you to Lorraine for taking the time out of her schedule to come onto the podcast. I just wanted to say before we introduce it, before we fully introduce Lorraine, that as the male half of this duo, I really recommend that all men listening to this podcast go out and get a copy of What's Wrong With Me. Uh, When it came through the door, I opened it up and um, my wife said, oh, that's on my reading list. So I've handed it over to her now. Um, I learned a huge amount from reading it. about women in general and also what might be going on um, in my own life and my, our own lives here. But I learned a huge amount from reading it. And whilst there always be more to learn, Lorraine's book is a really accessible entry point for men to learn about the menopause. And it's also a book that should be in every leader's toolkit. Well, I really enjoyed reading it uh, as well. I totally um, echo what you said. And I also felt this book came along at just the right moment in my life to read it. Uh, Lorraine described so brilliantly the the huge tumultuous shifts that happen in midlife and how to to deal with them. So I think it's I think it's an essential read. Yeah. Um, funny and uh in places very, very um fraught. The 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 the, the chapters on uh her kids leaving the nest were actually harrowing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm not not looking forward to that at all. Oh, I'm not, I'm but anyway, not looking forward to that. Not not at all. But anyway, now for our conversation with Lorraine. We are very excited to welcome Lorraine Candy to Starts at the Top. Lorraine Candy is a mother of four and an award-winning journalist. With over three decades of experience writing about women's lives and parenting in national newspapers and magazines, and as former editor-in-chief of Elle, Sunday Times Star and Cosmopolitan, a hugely engaged community of listeners from hosting the podcast, Postcards from Midlife, with 1.5 million downloads, and a brilliant podcast, which I highly recommend, and many insights gained from years of interviewing the top midlife experts and celebrities on their experiences Lorraine is the go-to voice for a generation of women seeking information and guidance. 
She is the Sunday Times best-selling author of Mum, What's Wrong With You? 101 Things Only Mothers of Teenage Girls Know, which I really need to read as the mother of an 11-year-old. And we're here today to talk about her wonderful new book, the paperback launch of her latest book, What's Wrong With Me? 101 Things Midlife Women Need To Know, which Paul and I read recently and absolutely loved. Lorraine, we are so excited you're here. Thank you for coming on Starts At The Top. Thank you so much for having me. I think we didn't update the bio. We're nearly 5 million downloads on our podcast. So it's a really big community now. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, That's super exciting. <laughs> Can't quite believe it. <laughs> That's amazing. Well done. Um, super. So uh, can you tell our listeners about uh, your latest book, What's Wrong With Me? Can you tell them what it's about and what compelled you to write it? Well, I started writing it sort of four or five years ago, just after I'd finished my parenting book, because I realised that I had quite a large Generation X community around me because of the magazines I'd edited, because I'd edited Cosmo at the peak of its success, because I'd edited Elle, and, you know, I'd written a column in a national newspaper. So I have this community, and we all seem to be going through a fairly similar thing, and I was talking about it with my friends and I was writing a lot of uh, health journalism at the time um, in national newspapers. And I realized that my experience of midlife and perimenopause was not uncommon. What I was going through, which I thought was extraordinary and ridiculous, and I thought I had a brain tumor or something quite seriously wrong with me, was actually not uncommon according to the science and the health uh, the medicine around it and as soon as I noticed that I thought well why not write about it because I feel you know I, I communicate a lot with my community on social media and I thought I should just put it all in one place I'll research all this information I've got ultimate access to all these leaders to all these experts to all these medics I'll put it all in one place but I'll do it in a soft easy to read memoir style so that women aren't terrified, because I don't think you should be terrifying women, particularly now as women come into this stage of their lives. It's a perfectly normal thing to go through. We all experience it in a different way. But if you've got all the information, then it's a bit easier. So I thought, let's put a book together on women's experience of midlife, the good and the bad, and this huge transitional phase, what you're going through mentally and physically feels like a very revolutionary and exciting act doesn't it to have a book like this because one of the things that occurred to me as I was reading it over the Christmas holidays was gosh I wish I could have been prepared for all of this why isn't this something that younger women get told about well why isn't I mean there's a lot of things that women aren't told about I mean I I, you know, to, without boiling it down generically, we live in a patriarchal society that was built by men and for men. So, you know, even from product design, from experience, from the way we work, from the way we live, from the way we parent, the emotional labor, all of that. So nobody has really been talking about women's experiences in depth and linking it all up. No one has been joining the dots. And, yeah, we've had some really senior NHS experts on the show. We've had the, the kind of highest um, ranked uh, maternal health experts on the show, Dame Leslie Regan. And we do not join up from teenage till we die with women. So, and we don't really have all the research and how it affects women to hand. So, for example, heart disease is the biggest killer of women after 50. That was a revolution, revelation to me. I had absolutely no idea. And I come from a family with a huge history of heart disease. So, all the work, though, all the research, and this is one a leading cardiologist told me this, is on men. And men have a very different physiology around their heart. So something that really that kills more women at a particular stage of life, all the work has been done on men. So, there, you know, there are so many examples of this. And, I, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a, a data scientist either. So I just started to find all of this out and thought I've got to put all the details so that people, women ask the right questions so they get the right information. So in some ways it is revolutionary, but in some ways I'm just sort of rolling my eyes and saying, well, you know, it's like running shoes, isn't it? They were designed for men and men have got completely different shaped seats from women. And it's that kind of eye rolling, mm. oh, here we go again, feeling around it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I found what was really 
exciting about the book, I mean, obviously, there's that whole sense of realising the way society is so orientated around men, including the experience of ageing. And yet I found the book really uplifting as well, particularly the the final chapters, because you talk about the transformation and liberation that midlife women experience. So I, I ended the book on a really positive note on that. What do you wish you had known about this chapter of your life before you went into it? You talked about the science side of things, the upheaval side of things, but is there anything that you wish you'd known before you went into this, this, this phase of life? Yes, I, I wish I'd known the medical side of it and um, all that was available to me to change my life because I was very lucky hormone replacement therapy changed my life overnight. It was just extraordinary, brought me back into the room again. And many women will tell you that. And as we know, there's a huge amount of misinformation around it. But what I didn't know is that you do, you, in any period of transition, you're in a, in a sort of void. You're between one place and the next. And you need to stop in that void, feel all the feelings in the void. You need to deal with all the retrospective feelings that come forward. You need to look at where you are and who you are and who you want to be. And you, you get a very stark realisation that you've got less left than you've had. So you want to really take stock. And I wish I'd known that this moment was coming because I wouldn't have continued in kind of perhaps the same, I think it's probably particular to Gen X, this kind of relentless movement moving forward, slightly ambitious, what next feeling. I wish I'd taken known it was coming because I would have known to take the moment and to have known I wasn't alone in wanting to take that moment and that I needed to. And that, you know, the next step is very important, but also really can be quite amazing. All the women I interviewed who were sort of 60 plus for the book told, even though they'd gone through really heartbreaking things, told extraordinary stories of finding themselves, being confident in them in themselves having this new renewed energy and this real thought process of I can be and do what I want to do now, regardless of their their background and their financial. It was a really living in the moment. And I wish I'd known all that was coming and was a possibility because I wasted time, you know, trying to sort out the menopause and perimenopause. And I wasted time with a mindset I'd had before, which didn't serve me now. Absolutely. And I love your description there of the, the void and also just that value in the transition where the work happens and and the growth happens and sometimes you look back on these things I think whether whatever kind of life transition you're going through and you think actually that was really hard but I learned a lot is that something you felt as you went through that transition and I think you get to this stage of life and you think this change will be constant. It will be all day, every day. So I'm going to sit with it and just be in it rather than thinking when this is done, I can sort that out. Or if this is done, I will be happier. Really just the hopefulness and keeping the hope and being optimistic and, and upbeat is what sort of moves you forward. But living in the present is is really necessary, I think, as, as you age. So I think that's the, the main thing I learned, that you know everything will change. No one day will be the same because something will happen in that day, particularly at this stage of life when you're teenagers, elderly parents, you might be changing jobs. It's the highest divorce rate for women after the age of 45. It's also the highest suicide rate for women after the age of 45. So, so much is happening. There is no point forward planning and trying to have a kind of logical goal set, goal driven. You've really got to live in the moment and deal with the change and accept that there will be change every day. So with that in mind, how do you think that employers and leaders could better support women in midlife? Well, we, we uh, Trish Halpin and I, who we co-host a podcast called Postcards from Midlife. So we've done, you know, and she, the magazines I didn't edit, she edited. So she edited Marie Claire Red <laughs> in style. So between us, we've edited all those magazines. We know women of this generation. We know the women going through midlife now. So we go into lots of big corporations and talk to them about how to empower their female workforce over the age of 40. Some women go into menopause, perimenopause a bit earlier. But what we've learned is it's really about whoever is responsible for your kind of occupational health, your personnel, knowing the facts and knowing the resources. So the big myths around HRT, that it'll give you breast cancer, not true. So once somebody knows all the details, and we always refer to Dr. Louise Newton, who's kind of the pioneer 
um, in researching that. And a lot of the facts around HRT are based on a very misleading, debunked, now debunked American survey. So you need your teams to know all of the facts. It's not about turning the heating down or having fans on desks. That's hardly any women get hot flashes. <laughs> so it really isn't about that or having different uniforms. You know, particularly in the NHS, which is a massive employer of women, it's about believing women who say, these are some of the things I'm going through at the moment, which is making it a little difficult for me to do my work. How can I resolve them so I can be better at what I do or more efficient or happier in, in my role? So it's about your teams who are there to make people well at work and happy at work, knowing all the facts. And I'm afraid they just don't know all the facts at the moment. So they need to get with all the resources. They need to know about all the books. They need to know about the latest research. They need to have GPs who are modern, who've done the training. So that, I think, would make a really big change. And I don't want this to portray women at this stage of life as being weaker or worse at their jobs or not as good at their jobs um, as men. Because men go through a fairly, you know, they go through a quite tumultuous midlife stage themselves. It's, it's both got physical and, and mental aspects to it too. So we're all going through something. Because women at this stage as well are, are often have a lot more time, so they can spend a lot more time being more efficient at work. They're very, very experienced. Many get this surge of energy and confidence after they've worked out how to deal with menopause and perimenopause. So they're incredibly valuable, and their training is really valuable to the workforce. So if you, leaders know what's going on, and the people responsible for that need to talk up as well as down, so often in, in many places at the top level, it will be mostly men. But it will be men whose wives, if we're talking about this time and this present moment, whose wives may well be going through, whose partners, daughters may be going through this as well. So it does for everybody to know all the information, really. I think that's the, the main thing, for everyone to know the information and the new information and the, the NHS guidelines, which have always said HRT is the first line of treatment for menopause and perimenopause symptoms. That, that just hasn't been known. There's been so much misinformation. And, you know, the symptoms can be anything from tinnitus mm. to dizziness mm. to suicidal ideation. So it's serious. So when someone's talking about that, then you need to be able to help them get help for that. Absolutely. It feels like such a key responsibility of leaders and also uh, the workplace and the systems of supporting people like HR uh, to really be on top of all of this. Because as your book outlines it's uh, there's there's so much happening and there is a lot to to get on top of isn't there there is a lot of resource and information that's always been out there though but it's just been you know neglected people have not been interested in this area of medical science or this area of medical support so it's making them interested in that you don't want women to come out of the workplace at a time when they're particularly well skilled particularly you know, in, in, in medical areas, you know, I had colleagues in the NHS during um, COVID who found the PPEA, it was all designed for men anyway, because it's too, so it's too big, but also found it unbearable because of some of the symptoms that are going through. And you don't want to lose those women. That's just a little tweak of things that can be done. So it's really important everyone knows the facts of what's going on and that every woman will have a slightly different experience. But we don't want to scaremonger. We want to just say, this is the next stage of life. There are some things you should know about. Our teams know about it. We can help you through it. We will have women who've been through it who can talk to you about it. There's plenty of resources. There's about 10 books out on it at the moment as well. We, we also talked recently to Dr. Lucy Ryan, who's written a book um, called Revolting Women. And she was talking about this very fact that within companies, and I think you mentioned it as well in the episode of the podcast you recorded with Annie Mack, um, it was her podcast. Sorry, it wasn't the ep an episode of your podcast. It was Annie Max's podcast, was Annie's wasn't it? But the yeah. the idea that changes and there are the, the midlife seems to be missing from a lot of organisations' um, views on, on HR policies and, um, uh, and and things like that. It just doesn't seem to be something that's discussed. Um, and I reflected. I'm working with a client at the moment. Um, who are, are, are very carefully sort of picking their way through a lot of that 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 sort of territory, but midlife just isn't on the agenda. Um, so I think there's probably something to do with with sort of leveling the conversation out to have midlife as a as a general thing that a lot of employees will be going through, 
at the table as well. So it doesn't become that sort of scaremongering. It's everyone's going through this and there are differences between the, the ways that men and women are experiencing it. But but basically, a lot of people at a very, very um, critical time in their lives are going through this and they're going through it at home and critically at work too. I think hearing people around you being able to talk about it out loud is um, really important. I think it's really important that we use a healthy, positive language ourselves, that we don't buy into this, oh, I'm having a hot flush, I can't remember anything, brain fog, joke element that seems to be around as well. I think we need to avoid that in the workplace. This is just, um, there is a problem, there is a solution usually. So let's let's work it out for both men and women. It's a little bit like working out, you know, how we work in the workplace when we have family demands and responsibilities and who's responsible for that. It's just another thing we need to be well aware of but just extraordinarily has never been talked about it just seems the most bizarre and I think that's what Trish and I found as journalists we've been journalists a really long time working in the field of health you know and I worked on the times and the sun I worked on all this thing never never was mentioned and I specialized in women's stories <laughs> it's just so extraordinary it was just completely ignored for so many years and it has taken women like Davina McCall um, talking about it you know Lorraine Kelly it's taken people with massive reach who've been through it talking about it to really get it home to people but you know I say that and we live in this London leadership bubble in a, in a way or this southeast bubble but there are huge chunks of the country where women simply still don't know about it from all different backgrounds. We know it's much more difficult for black and brown women to uh, access proper support from their GPs. They're often believed less than white women. So there's research around that. So we know this is a real struggle outside of the kind of more media-centric bubbles. We're all talking about it, but it really did need it does need people to be in their communities talking about it as well um, and then affecting that workforce there. So talking of communities, I think, that that sort of need more information and don't have the information. Um, this book, the, your book arrived through the post uh, and I opened it in the kitchen and my wife saw it and she said, oh, that's on my reading list. And I thought to myself while I was reading through the book, there are going to be many situations where in our household, the the, you know, the the man in the household is reading the book before uh, the wife who actually wants to read it. And and what I thought was um, there is a, a big recommendation coming up would be from me to, to for for men to pick up this book and read it, and hopefully um, take as much out of it as I did and learn as much from it as I did. But um, hopefully they will be asking the, the question: How can they support their wives? How can they support women in their lives, whether it's at work or at home? So what can men do to help uh, other than pick up the book and read it, of course? Yeah, I had an um, amazing uh, man when I was at a book festival in Cornwall. I'm, I'm from Cornwall. It was quite a big festival and he'd accidentally walked into my talk. <laughs> I think he thought it was something about fishing, <laughs> which came before. Um, and he stayed all the way through and then he came and he, he had five books. He said, oh my God, this is it. This is what this is what's happening. I had no idea what was going on at home. Um, I bought five books because I think my sister's going through it as well. And I'm going to pass on the knowledge. So the, the, you know, what men can do is listen. This is not about fixing. So we're not saying to male leaders or male partners, you've got to fix us. We're saying, can you listen to us? Which is, is a difficult skill for men. And I don't say that off the top of my head, I say that having researched that for my book on parenting teenagers, actually, when I was looking at dads and daughters, it's really hard for dads to listen without trying to fix it. So they stop listening because they keep thinking, I'm going to sort this out, I'm going to sort this out. So their actual active, responsive brain just shuts down because they're already thinking what they can do to help. So that's not what we're asking for. We are asking for you to listen and bear with us while we find or help us with the solutions. One of the things we always advise to women and we advise this when we give talks in the workplace is that if you go to the GP and you are told you probably should take antidepressants because anxiety is a huge symptom of declining estrogen um, but you don't want to do that and you don't think it's right and you don't think the GP's told you the right thing you can then 
have the right to go to another GP and say, I'm not happy with that. I, I've read about this. Um, I would like um, to talk about this. Take your partner with you <laughs> because it's really hard. The decline in estrogen affects the way your brains work. So you sometimes you physically cannot remember anything. And this is not a bit of brain fog. I forgot what side of the road to drive on. I, I, my brain couldn't find the right or left. It just couldn't find it. So that was a neurological breakdown, which is very common when estrogen testosterone all those hormones are fluctuating or decreasing so you need someone with you when you go to get this information so go with your partner so that you can find out about it so when you're having these conversations at work don't say there's a big com we're going to have a big talk about the menopause and then only send the email to the female staff that has happened so and i would say with corporations and we've done some banks and big things We've had like 400 people on a Zoom call. I would say 300 will be women. You really need as many men in the room listening um, as you do. And, and to really just be listening rather than thinking, I can't fix this or I can fix this. Yeah, it's essential, isn't it? It's really important that everyone takes ownership of this information and thinks about how they can. For me, it's part of creating a really ultimately inclusive workplace, I think it's the same kind of thing. When I um, was editing Elle, we had um, just integrated the digital team with the print team. We were the first ever publication to do it. We all worked together on a hot desk around a glass fashion cupboard because obviously the fashion is the central content for Elle. So it was quite revolutionary. Some of it worked, some of it didn't. But as a leader, I realized, sitting out with my team, that I had to really accommodate many different people and at that time, I did a lot of research mm. into how we accommodate more neurodiverse uh, members of the workforce because, mm. you know, fashion uh, encourages and it really is a bit of a magnet for really creative people who work in a very different way from perhaps more logical people. So I was seeing lots of different personalities. And I think, in a way, this is just a simple, another way of we must include everyone and the way they work, and we must be mindful of how what everyone's needs are within the workplace. You know, we, we don't have to bend over backwards and change everything because we've still got to deliver. But under the banner of still delivering for the business, how can we get the most of that out of our employees by being mindful of the way they work? And many of them work in different ways. I, for example, I had an employee that just simply could not come in on time. And I just thought, well, you can't. I don't really want to fire her for not being able to come in on time. There's something clearly going wrong. And we looked into how it was working, what was working, and actually she was much more effective coming in at 11 instead of 9.30. It was a very simple switch, didn't really affect me, didn't affect the business. We did a, you know, we had a look at how it would work. So it's that kind of, you know, that's a very tiny, probably inconsequential example, but it's that kind of thinking that if you've got an 80% female workforce, you really need an HR team that knows absolutely everything about the menopause and perimenopause to work with them. Absolutely, yeah. We would highly recommend this book to any HR professionals um, listening today. We know we've got some of those amongst our I think also Dr. Louise Newson's uh, book and um, Davina's book. And there is a book called The Hormone Doctor, which is a really brilliant book about how you can uh, work with midlife if you can't take it. Travel. Fantastic. I'll have to put those on my reading list as well. Thank you. Um, so one of the things you described in the book, which I found especially fascinating, was how cultures such as Japan have different attitudes mm. to ageing and the menopause. Can you tell us more about this and what we could learn from it? Well, I interviewed women from all backgrounds um, for the book um, and really age range sort of 40 to I think, 82, I think the eldest lady was, and from all sorts of parts of the world. And I also interviewed a really great uh, obstetrician and gynaecologist called Dr. Vikram Talalaika. Um, and he worked in a community from various different parts of the world um, and obviously looked at the research. And in places, in Japan, for example, they call it the um, second spring. Um, and their diet is slightly more suited um, after the age of 40 to women's estrogen levels so um i didn't look into it in detail but i think it's something to do with the amount of soy that's eaten so it's it's there is an attitude cultural attitude in the western world though that we will experience a problem whereas in other parts of the world women are much you know we will experience a problem we will be a problem whereas in other parts of the world 
older women are really revered. They're revered for a kind of sexual liberation as well in many cultures, you know, because obviously we, there's no chance of pregnancy. So it really is about just sexuality, which is seen as very powerful in many parts of the world and revered as having time to be able to make decisions and be part of decision-making processes within communities and promoted to, you know, higher levels of, of whatever industry they're in. So it's a real shame that in this culture it has such a negative you know it, talking about it more and all the negative aspects of it which I absolutely believe we must do until that message has got through does contribute a little bit to our generally negative attitude towards it whereas in other places of the world getting older is seen as a really liberating amazing thing you know because obviously the, you know, the alternative is terrible so it's yeah it's, I didn't go in depth into that but I do know that the, the places like Japan it is much more of a positive experience. I found that especially fascinating because um, my heritage is mixed Chinese and English and my mother's Chinese. And in Chinese culture, often age is seen as being synonymous with wisdom. Um, So, yeah, I think that's I think it's really fascinating to to, to read about how uh, the different cultures tackle this kind of life transition um we're so quite heavily speaking of those here, moments though, aren't we by by the media and and entertainment so mm. we don't see older women in films and see we do more so now but we don't see the films they, they were never on telly <laughs> we don't see it as a good thing because we just don't see it so yeah i think that's that's so true isn't it i mean um i really enjoyed the sex in the city reboot um and just like that and and afterwards i was thinking gosh i don't think i've ever seen women in midlife portrayed in this way before and and why not because they've got agency they're making different choices they're entering these this new chapter and doing completely different things and um I think you're right. It feels like such a, a, a limited way in which midlife women get portrayed in the media. It is limited. It's limited and it's kind of cliched. But it's, again, it's, it's, it's you know, it's a patriarchal thing, isn't it? Most, all the surveys on TV in the last five years, less programmes are made by women, less programmes are written by women less adverts are made by women that is going down not up so we aren't going to be there because we're not involved in the process of putting us there i mean there's one or two standout i think things that happen i think bridget christie's program changes on um the change on channel four was an extraordinary comedy which i don't think would have been made five years ago i just think it wouldn't even have got past the commissioners so you know and i we interviewed the um Georgia Pritchett who was one of the writers of Succession and she wrote the Jerry character and again initially he was that was supposed to be a male character they kept the name and they the the male script writer said let's keep keep Jerry. all right let's make it women because otherwise every boardroom scene will just be men so we need to have a woman in there but you know well let's make her the kind of matriarchal figure the maternal figure look and um, Georgia was like no we're going to make her really sexual we're not going to make her this maternal. We're going to do the woman that we think we would see if she wasn't constricted. So, but that character would not have been written without a woman like Georgia Pritchett, a midlife woman who had such a menopause story to tell herself that she just wouldn't, Jerry wouldn't have been written. So that, and it's so rare to see that kind of woman in society here. So of course we don't, you know, our daughters aren't seeing it. They might be seeing it a little bit more now, but you know, it's easily changed this. We just need to open the creative doors to more women, to say yes to more women. Oh, amen to that. So one of the things we loved about the book was your description of how midlife forces us to sit with discomfort and painful feelings. Is there any advice you'd give to someone who is at the start of sitting with that process of discomfort and, and these difficult feelings? I think men go through this as well. So once you've sorted out the physical side of your life, got your sleep back, taking HRT if if you can, and changing, you know, your diet, all the things that we we get a little bit less healthy after we've had kids and all of that because we just don't put ourselves first, we don't take care of ourselves. So once you've done that, you have to realise that you might be thinking, you, you might have not met your expectations of where you wanted to be in life. You might not be happy with your partner, your long-term, but because you're a changed, different, changing, different person. 
So there is that divorce and all of that that happens um, to women at this stage of life. And I think what I was told by Julia Samuel, who's an amazing therapist, who's written several books um, around therapy with families, within families and how it works and how we change as we age, is that there is this place called the void. And to, to get past any pain, you know, it, it, you know, it's an agent of change, pain. You know change is coming. It's to really take care of yourself in the moment so that you aren't feeling physically unwell, to allow yourself to, to really just sit with those feelings and, and go through it. It can be a bit miserable. You feel like you've lost your mojo, don't really know who you are. You only have this kind of tumultuous sense of identity loss when you're in, in your teenage years. That's the, the other time I think we all feel it because we don't know who we are really then either but we just keep moving forward with it because that's all we know in our teenage years so I think you just have to acknowledge it's going to happen it's going to be a bit painful but out the other side is pretty amazing. And you mentioned the idea in the book of the midlife MOT and mm. you know in in our situation here that would I guess look like me and my wife getting together and having that conversation about expectations and what we yeah. expect for them the next few years and just having that conversation out loud which probably most people don't I think I um wrote when I came back from work after my fourth baby I wrote a um a piece for one of the papers I think it was the Guardian about a, a contract we don't ever sit down together with our partners that we have children with and say who exactly is going to do what <laughs> how is our day going to go mm. um particularly for gen x heterosexual couples we just carried on without any thought about how our days were going to change. Now we had four children under 10 and I just picked up the stuff that I needed to pick up while I was working full time. I changed my working schedule at work. I had, a, I went into work with a contract saying, right, I'm finishing at five o'clock. We're going to change the printing, printing project schedule of the magazine. We're going to have every other Friday off, but I'm still going to meet these goals. We're going to review it every three months. I didn't do that at home. And I always advise people to do that. And I think when you hit midlife, you've got to sit down and think, right, okay, is this what I really want to do? Why do I feel this way? Why am I working? Why do I feel I work so hard? So why am I working? So keep asking the why question and just review yourself physically from an MOT point of view, but also take agency over your own health. I think a lot of women in their 40s begin to think, right, okay, I'm going to sort this out. I'm not just going to be fobbed off anymore. I'm going to go back in and get a second opinion. But also to think, is this the place I want to live? Is this the way I want to live? Is this how I want to interact with my teenage children or my children who've left home? It's, it's really about being quite specific about it and thinking it through. Do you think you would have changed anything about the latter stages of your magazine career, knowing what you know now? Do you think anything would have changed? You would have done anything differently? Or yes, I, I, I no think regrets? I wouldn't have been so hard on myself. I was, you know, getting up at like, I think because my perimenopause was was a, was a bit extreme and I had such severe brain fog and I was so depressed, I think I would have, if I'd known that was coming and then been able to get the medical help to go on HRT earlier, I would have then sat down and thought, okay, hold on, some of the things that I've done, I do not need to get up at five o'clock to make sure I get through this list. I'm going to delegate more. <laughs> you know, I'm going to work out how I work my home life and my family life so that I'm not so grumpy and angry and cross all the time because that's not helpful to anybody. So, yes, I I really regret of the last sort of from the age of sort of 47 to 50 not sorting it out quicker. And, you know, I was offered antidepressants twice by my doctors and I didn't think it was right. Why on earth the first time I didn't say, no, that's not right, please go and see another doctor, which I know is perfectly within my right to do on the NHS, uh, I don't know. I, I would just take more agency for making my life better. And I really would slow down. I, you know, I think particularly I did a chapter on burnout for Gen X. I think Gen X, we were driven to do really well at home and really when, you know, I come from a very working class background. I felt incredibly lucky to be where I was and I wasn't going to let go of that. And I was going to work so hard. And actually, that does have quite an extreme effect on your health, I think, in the end. And Really what I needed to do sort of at 45, and I would say to a lot of women in their mid-40s, is to step back and slow down a little bit and work out how you can still achieve your goals at work, but review it so that you aren't burnt out trying to do that. How can you share the load? There's a, ve there's a very small window of tolerance for stress as you get older, and I think if I'd known that my window of tolerance was closing, I would have done less stressful things.
Yeah, I think that's, that's I think that's sound advice. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> I feel that nearly every day. That that yeah, <laughs> that, okay. yeah. The, the stress levels for just the smallest little things that you just sort of you snap. Whereas before yeah. you would have just sort of brushed it off. It's absolutely fine. Yeah, full disclosure. I I live my life with this general feeling of being on the edge. I I love spinning all the plates, but I know exactly what you both mean about having this um, uh, very much more. Um, focused window for for stress is it feels like a big part of that is all the juggling isn't it as much as the the life phase I think you feel a bit like you've been but I'd never thought of there. it in this way <laughs> yeah well look, you've just you described it perfectly Lorraine I think there is within this within our generation there is this sense that you you can do everything you need to do everything and we we've talked several times in this podcast with other people about um the next generation coming along and having that sort of, you know, take it or leave it, happy-go-lucky sort yeah. of approach to the world of work that we just we just never had. Well, I work with a lot of um, much younger women in, in the industry I was in and actually on, on newspapers as well at the, the latter end of my career. And I learned a lot about women saying, younger women saying, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I'd be too stressful. I, you know, I, I just, I'm going to go because I don't feel great now. Or I, you know, all the things that perhaps a more martyr attitude was not healthy to have. And I think we don't do ourselves any favours by not welcoming in the modern way of working as well. You know, the, a lot of the digital advances in journalism were making our lives easier. But I think part of the time we were thinking, this is just another thing I've got to learn or another thing I've got to be part of. When actually particularly a lot of the production logistic processes that was there to make my life easier and I was slightly dreading it thinking I had to add it to my to-do list to know how to make that work it's a it's a you know it's about giving yourself some softness around who you are as well I think that's great thanks and so wrapping up then with sort of a final question this is um, a podcast about exploring leadership and everything that's changing with leadership and has changed over um, over the past few years in particular so what one piece of advice would you give to leaders um, about midlife women Uh, if you could give one piece of advice what would it be well I've managed really big teams and worked within massive teams on newspapers and I've managed very small specific targeted teams for very specific things as well and I've had quite a lot of career coaching throughout that and I would say and I really enjoyed being a leader I, it was you know it's one of the perks of my job I felt incredibly privileged but I would say you really have to work out how your style affects other people and where you are within that and and in order to do that you need to learn to listen and you need to learn to work out how everyone's working together and I think if you look around your room and you have midlife women in there they will all be going through something even if they absolutely sail through the physical aspects of menopause and perimenopause and perimenopause can start in your early 40s there will be huge pressures at home that you perhaps aren't aware of I mean we are all dealing with elderly parents we are all dealing with children um, I totally underestimated how empty nest when my two eldest left home I completely underestimated how that was going to affect me it was absolutely devastating um, I just thought I'd sail through that. So all of, there is a lot going on. So you need to recognise that within your workforce and bring the wellness, I hate to use that word wellness because I hate it, into the workplace, I think, because you will have a much stronger workforce if you do that. And if you understand what's going on, and it's not making women weaker, it's it's about making anyone at work's life better. That's what we should all be doing as leaders. So it's, you know, you have to, dump that negative attitude towards it and think how am I going to make it easier for my brilliant women to perform better at work because women are absolutely amazing in the workforce if you if we so many women were going through all the things that I was going through and still hit you know hitting targets and becoming CEOs and becoming you know fighter pilots and all that but while going through all of that and I think good god if they could do all of that and still achieve at this level that's extraordinary imagine the power of this army of women fueled by the things they need without worrying about everything that they're going through and going through it then it's just they're incredibly resourceful as a members of your workforce absolutely i mean just imagine what could happen with the right tools the right support the right Mm. understanding from 
from leaders. Um, wow, um, I think midlife women could be even more unstoppable. They are quite. They can. They can do a lot. <laughs> also, they are. They do get this slight "don't give a shit" attitude, which I think is really helpful in the workforce. <laughs> they have a kind of "I'm going to make this happen." <laughs> I am not worried about what you think about me. I'm just going to get it done in the most efficient way possible and the kindest way possible. They really aren't going to listen to all the stuff around them. hundred percent. Yeah, I'm definitely seeing that amongst my my peer group. Um, <laughs> what an amazing, inspiring note Thank to you. end on. Thank you so much, Lorraine. We love this book. We highly recommend it to everyone listening to this podcast. Is there anything you want to say about the paperback launch before we wrap up? No, I think um, I changed changed the title slightly on the paperback. It's instead of 101 things, it's, it says um, from uh, unraveling to reinvention, because I do think what we lost when we didn't put it on the first book is that it is a reinvention and it is an incredibly powerful and positive time of life. And I just want to make sure all women know that and that they're not alone. I think that's the main thing. A lot of women felt alone, but I would hope that your generation, Zoe, and younger millennials coming through won't feel alone now because there's so much information out there thank you Lorraine yeah absolutely absolutely um and reinvention I think I may have to write that on a poster and put it above my desk (laughs) and it to be my watchword through this phase of my life thank you so much for coming on starts to the top we really appreciate it thank you for having me thank you for coming on and my wife could now have this copy of the book (laughs) and she can good luck to her (laughs) Once again, thanks to Lorraine for taking time out of her schedule to come onto the podcast. And thank you for me too. We absolutely love the book. And as a long-term fan of Lorraine and her writing, it was such a pleasure to talk to her. We really do appreciate that you've listened all the way to the end of the episode. Thank you so much. As always, you can support the podcast by leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to us. It really does help us reach more people. Uh, Apple now are highlighting recent reviews to people. So if you leave a review today, it's going to do us uh, uh, an enormous benefit. So thank you. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard, do share us with a friend. Thank you so much for listening today. And we will see you in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode of Starts at the Top with a very exciting guest. We'll see you then and bye for now. See you soon.